Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. Today, if you're brand new to Oceans, I want to welcome you. We are a pretty rowdy church. We believe, um, we believe that God's to be enjoyed, not endured. <laughs> and so we're going to lean in today. You know, it's funny, we get excited for new movies that come out. We have enthusiasm for sporting events, but for some reason we come to church and we lose our enthusiasm. I think that's, if I was the devil, that's what I would try to do too. If I was the devil, I would try to make things boring that are actually the things that could change your life. And I would try to make things exciting that don't change anything. And so today we're going to get fired up. We're going to lean in. If it gets good, you can say amen. If you get hot, you can say amen. You get cold, you can say amen. You get tired, say amen. I'm just, whatever, Amen. It's just a church way of saying I'm with you. I agree. Let it be done. And so uh, I'm excited to be here today. You know, uh, two weeks ago, three, yeah, two weeks ago, we took our staff up, as I mentioned, to uh, Mammoth, California. Who's been to Mammoth before? Anybody been to Mammoth? Drove up to Mammoth. It's beautiful. Six-hour drive. And um, we turned around, and we came back. It was an awesome time meeting with God. We stopped in Bishop at that bakery in Bishop. Shucks. Is that the name of it? Shucks. I don't want to cuss up here. Okay. <laughs> It's sounding awfully close to a cuss word. So it's a cool little bakery. It's like a swap meet for bread. And it went in there. <laughs> it's just bread everywhere. It's like floor to ceiling. You're like, some of this stuff has got to be old. You're not selling this much bread. But we went in this bakery. We had a meal. And my wife and I, we were there with some of our staff and had a great time. We sat outside. And uh, little, little, there's a couple of babies there. My wife and I, we lose track of time and reality when there's babies. We're like grandpa mode holding babies. And so uh, we actually kind of lost track of it. We get in the car. We start driving away. We made it through all the little small towns. I think we got to Independence or Big Pine or Little Pine or some pine. <laughs> Hour away, though, from Bishop. And I got a call, and then Rochelle got a call, and we were ignoring because I thought it was the devil or spammers. And uh, we, were, we were saying, not today, Satan. And um, that found out actually it wasn't a spammer. Uh, my wife answered, and it was a lady. It was an angel. She said, hey. I want you to know you left your purse at the bakery in, um, in Bishop. And I'm like, oh. So I was like. <laughs> Drove back an hour, made a six-hour drive, a 10-hour drive. But thankfully, this, this lady was so sweet. Unfortunately, the purse was too expensive to leave. Really wanted to cut that, that purse loose. But we had to go back. It was the anniversary gift. And so um, we went back and we got the purse. I want to talk to you today about the power of returning. I was praying this week. I'm going to talk this week and next week about this idea of the power of returning. And uh, I really felt impressed. God, a lot of times, will use real-life scenarios in my life to illustrate what God is attempting to do with his people. And I really felt like there's certain things that we can try to live without. But they're so valuable, God doesn't want you to keep going without them. This purse was too valuable to leave there. And even though it was inconvenient, even though it was a little bit testing and trying, it was worthy of turning around and going back for it. And I think there's areas in our walk with God that if we're not intentional, you can make it through the rest of your life without that dimension of God's awareness, without that relationship with the Spirit of God. But I'm telling you that walking closely with God is worth any turnaround. Come on, if I can't get a Pentecostal amen, I'll take a Baptist head nod. 
You give me a Presbyterian eyebrow raise. I will take a Latter-day Saint deep breath. Give me something. I'm telling you, it's very important today that God's desire is that we would actually come back to him. And so I want to talk to you on the subject matter today, back, not back to school, back to you, back to you. It's a little bit of a message I felt like God wanted me to share with you about his desire for us to come back to him because he wants to come all the way back to you. If, if you believe it, say amen. You got your Bible today? I'm going to turn to a passage out of uh, Second, Second Kings, Second Kings chapter 22, Second Kings 22. I'm going to read about a guy named Josiah. Josiah, kind of like the Kennedy family, very uh, fluent, very prominent political family. Uh, Josiah is uh, a son of a king. His father was assassinated at a young age. Uh, but this, this, this family line, his great-great-grandfather was a very godly king named Hezekiah. Hezekiah is responsible for one of the greatest spiritual awakenings in the history of Israel. And his son, his name was Manasseh. Manasseh is known as one of the wickedest kings of his timeline. Manasseh has a son that's also wicked. And his wicked son gets assassinated. And so his grandson, Manasseh's grandson's name is Josiah. And because his dad is killed at eight years of age, he takes over the kingdom. Now, here's why I'm talking about this passage today. I'm going to read a few verses to you. But I want to get you this idea. Why should I pay attention, Mark? Here's my, here's my thesis today. That God, when men and women return to God, it will never just impact you. It can impact nations. When one man, one woman, they go back to God with their whole heart. God will start with you, but he will never end with you. And I'm telling you, America is in a grim position. California is in a dark condition. But I want to remind you that the story of Josiah reminds us that what took 70 years to destroy, God restored in one generation. One generation. Two generations of debauchery, two generations of genocide, two generations of idol worship, two generations of godlessness. But it took one young man to say, I'm coming back to God. And I'm coming back with every fiber in my being. And when there is Josiah's that rise, listen to me, there's 39 kings in the history of Israel and one queen. Out of those kings and that queen, majority were wicked. And what you will find, this is a shadow of, of New Testament doctrine. In the Old Testament, the nation was never as godly, or the nation was always only as godly as their king. And when the king was wicked, the people were wicked. Are you hearing me today? And you will never see a church more on fire than its staff. You will never see a staff more on fire than its pastors. So, so in many ways, the climate of a city is connected to the climate of the church. So we can't expect culture to burn with a flame that's not in the church. Here's the good news. When culture is sliding into the dumps, a friend of mine texted me last service. He goes, Mark, this message was right on. He goes, did you see on the news today that the satanic church is now doing back-to-school parties in public schools? They just got it okayed in the state of California, I believe it is, to do back-to-school celebrations, the satanic churches sponsoring it. I'm telling you that we are living in moral decay. We're living in spiritual decay. And I'm telling you that we have hope as a nation. But here's, here's the deal. God will make it without America. 
America will not make it without God. And America will only be as strong as its church. So if God doesn't revive us here and us now, there is no hope for the rest of the state. But the good news is, if he can awaken the Josiahs, look out, California. Let's say if you're watching, only about 35 people that are with me so far. We'll get some more people on board. 2 Kings chapter 22, you guys ready? Let's read about this young king. He was eight years old when, when he became king, Josiah. Verse 1, he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah, Adiah and Boscoth. And it says, he did what was right. Did with what? He did, he did right in the sight of the Lord. He walked in the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right or to the left. It's interesting that he goes on. It says that his first kind of active roles as king, you start reading through chapter 22, he says, hey, I want you to get the carpenters. I want you to get the builders. I want you to get all of the skilled masons. And I want you to go in and I want you to repair the damages in the church. Verse 6, so they sent carpenters and builders and masons to buy timber, uh, stone, to repair the house. There was, it goes on, it says they started to do this. Then, verse 8, uh, Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, he goes, oh my gosh, as we were fixing the church, we found a book. It's the book of the law. It's the Torah. It was actually underneath some boards. The you know, scholars say it was probably buried under some boards. And they found it in the house of the Lord as they were rep repairing the church. Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. Shaphan read it. And as he read it to the king, he brought words. They came to Josiah. Josiah was young, probably about 20 years of age at this point. It's about 640 or 630 uh, BC. And they came to the king and they began to read it. It says this, that verse 11, now it happened when the king heard the words of God's book, that he tore his clothes. He tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah, the priest, uh, Achim, the son of Shaphan, uh, Akbor, the son of, of, the, of someone else that's hard to pronounce. And he said, I want you to go. I want you to inquire the Lord for me and the people. He says, all of Judah. He says, concerning the words of this book that we've been found. For great is the wrath of God that's aroused towards us because our fathers have not obeyed this book. They haven't done what's written in this book. And I'm telling you, this is not going to be good if we don't adhere to this book. So they go. There's a female prophet, a prophetess that actually gives a great word in verse 19. In chapter 23, I'm going to paraphrase it. We're going to pray. It says that at that point, when he hears God's word, he builds the church. As he builds the church, he finds the Bible. As he finds the Bible, he hears the Bible. As he hears the Bible, he restores true worship. Listen to me. What took 70 years to destroy, in a matter of days, the king started destroying all the high places, all the idol worship, everything that had a form of godliness but denied God's power. Pulled down the high places. And listen to me. The entire nation turned. Watch what it says about Josiah. I love this verse. Verse 25 of chapter 23. It says, now before Josiah, there was no king like him. Stop. That's a wild statement. Who was before him? David. Hezekiah. But watch what it says about Josiah. Before him, there was no one like him. What was unique about him? This is what the author says. He says this. There was no one like him who turned. Say it with me, turned. Say it one more time, turned. 
What was so special about this Josiah kid? He turned to the Lord with all of his heart, with all of his soul, and with all of his might. This kind of sounds like the great, great commission, right? Or the great, the great commandment. And with all of his might, according to all the law of Moses. Watch it goes on to say, nor was there any king after him that did anything like this guy did to arise. I'm telling you, I was praying this week, and as clear as day, I heard the Lord say, you watch what happens when my people turn back to me. You guys ready to go? I got two weeks for you in this series. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you that you would, you would be our God, that we would be your people. I thank you that you would quicken your word to every one of us, whether we're agnostic, we're atheists, whether we're looking for, for answers today. I thank you that whether we're sold out, we've been following you for four or five decades, I ask you that you would come in a fresh way. I pray a fresh breeze of your spirit to blow through these tents. I pray that your presence would even invade phones and tablets watching all over the country today. And I ask you that you would revive your bride. I thank you that we would be without spot. I pray that you would restore a glorious church without spot, without wrinkle. I pray that your power would once again invade your church. And I pray the gates of hell in Orange County and Southern California and America would not be able to prevail against what you are going to do in the earth. Holy Spirit, we invite you. We need you. We love you. And I just thank you that you bless the Lakers this year as well. In Jesus' name, God's people said amen. Amen. I throw that in their last little little prayer. They need all the prayer they can get. Amen. Say so went back to school. I'm a, I have two daughters, as many of you know. I have a I have a little girl that's seven, and I have a a freshman in high school officially, which makes me feel very very old that I have a freshman in high school, and it's back to school uh, season right now. Many of you know this, and if you're taking notes, I want to talk to you not about back to school. I want to talk to you about back to back to God, back to God, or God, back to you, uh, back, 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 back to you, back to you. I was thinking about back to school though. Back to school is a time of year. Uh, and I think if we're being honest, it's okay to be honest in church. Uh, I would say that the back to school supply list is getting a little bit out of hand. If I could speak up for other parents, I would like to, I would like to remind everybody in an educational world that when we were growing up, it was a backpack and it was a couple number two pencils. It's pretty much all you needed to get by in education. Nowadays, you have a back-to-school supply list that looks like, I don't know, I feel like, uh, I feel like the, the, the launch codes to a nuclear device are actually shorter than a back-to-school list. My wife got a Vera Wang wedding planning book that was probably twice as thick as the Bible. I'm like, that was easier to read than the back-to-school list. You got to bring uh, colored pencil... Uh, Four pintos, <laughs> pinto beans. It's crazy the list nowadays. Three ring binders, multiples, colored pencils, 16 boxes of crayons, 14 boxes of Kleenex, four rolls of toilet paper, a staff janitor. You're showing up just loaded, first day of school. You got a backpack. Costco's been uh, completely robbed of supplies. You got a Target, it looks like Armageddon. Can't even find an eraser in this store. It's crazy. Back to school supply lists are out of control. You you get this going, and then you show up, and they have they have the schedule. You get the schedule. Nowadays, schools aren't like they used to be. It's like everyone's on the same schedule. There's block schedules. There's chain schedules. There's there's smoke schedules. There's 
No, there's not spoke schedules. There's just all these schedules. There's red schedule, blue schedule, purple schedule, gold days, burgundy days, tall days, short days. They got drop-off lines, pick-up lines. You got volunteer parents in colored vests. They've been trained by the LAPD at LAX. Keep it moving. I'll write you up. Keep it moving. Get out of here. Don't stop here. I feel like I'm in the dentist office, like I'm a little kid again. I don't floss. No, I don't very much. Keep it moving, buddy. You're going to get written up. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't want to get written up. I feel like a little kid again. Got the security guard at the school yelling at me. It's a crazy time. Schedules are crazy. Supplies are crazy. I would even say that you have to sacrifice. Nowadays, when I was growing up, you went to school from like 9 in the morning to 3. Maybe you did a couple sports. But now there's like club leagues, school leagues, JV team, AP team, C team, D team, 12 teams, JV, J- fresh sophomore team, varsity, uh, 16 sports going on. Saturday, 17 events going on. I'm like, what are we going to do? We have a social life or are we going to put you in school? We're going to school for now, I guess. So you end up sacrificing. It's a sacrifice. You get your kids into school. You're sacrificing. And I don't know. The- Day of school when Kenzie was a preschooler, got a little teary-eyed, and I had been okay ever since. But man, freshman year of high school, I was uh, putting smoke, putting pepper spray in the smoke machines. Apparently, so I'm getting a little bit teary-eyed in my car, dropping my freshman off at high school, and I'm like, man, I got 208 weeks of high school. The fact that I figured that out, I'm a little bit depressed about that. But I was thinking, man, this is crazy. And I, I realized, man, I think that's when my parents and my grandparents got so emotional, the older they get. You realize how fast time goes by. And I was thinking about this idea, and I really, I really felt like there was a, a common thread. When you take your kids back to school, it's about supplies. When you take your kids back to school, it's about, it's about schedules. When you take your kids back to school, it's about sacrifice. And when you take your kids back to school, it's about sensitivity. There's a sensitivity that happens. And I'm telling you today that when we, when we return as a people back to God, it requires supplies, it requires schedules, it requires sacrifice, and I'll tell you what, when that happens, there will be a new sensitivity. What I want to warn you is, is that without God, we cave in on ourselves. And the more we get God out of our land, the more our land will fall into the abyss. We know that in 1844, the Supreme Court was trying to literally say that there will never be a day that the public school system will not use the Bible as its chief, uh, chief educational tool in America. Benjamin Rush, who was the founder, one of the founding fathers of America, they call him the founding father of modern education, he talked about over and over again how the Bible is one of the greatest textbooks that can ever be given to kids in school. It is the only book that awa- awakens young people to what is right... And what is wrong? And it's interesting that in 1963, when we pull God out of schools, prayer out of schools, Bibles out of schools, and we try to somehow, we get so educated that there's no space for God in the the educational sector. And we watch how our education begins to slowly fall into the abyss. Telling you the Bible will keep you from sin. Our sin will keep you from the Bible. One of my professors told me that growing up. He said that, Mark, if your Bible's dirty, your life will probably be clean. But if your Bible is clean, your life will probably be dirty. 
there is something about this book when it's honored, when it's revered, when it's read, when it's believed, when it's obeyed, that the presence of God begins to fill your life. Many people say, Mark, can a life really matter? I want to tell you, Ken, Manasseh, we know, did three things as king, and he caused moral bankruptcy. He caused spiritual bankruptcy in all of Israel because he did three things. The first thing he did is he removed people's commitment to God. You know what he did is he downplayed how important it is to have a relationship with Jesus, with God, with Yahweh. It wasn't Jesus back then, it was Yahweh. He's like, look, we don't need to have any of the stuff that Hezekiah, my dad, did. We don't need to be serious about this thing, about worship. We can have idols. We can do what we want. And anybody that says we can't have idols, that's telling the truth, we're going to persecute and we're going to kill those guys. Three things that Manasseh did to cause spiritual bankruptcy in a nation. Let me know if this sounds familiar to you. Number one, he got rid of commitment to God. Number two, he elevated worship anything except Yahweh. Any idol, you want to worship trees, dolphins, fish, you want to worship anything, anything. You want to worship Confucius, vacuum cleaners, whatever you want to worship, it's all good. But don't you dare say that you love Jesus Christ. You say Jesus Christ, you'll get canceled. You say you're a Christian, you bow for, for praying in an end zone, you'll get canceled. You start standing for, listen, you can bow for anything else, you can do anything else, but if it's moments Jesus Christ, you are going to get shut down. Why is it that everybody's cool with worshiping anything except Jesus? Academy Awards, you get up there, talk about your nonprofit, that you're saving oceans or bottles of waters in the, in the sea, all great causes. But the moment you say, I am living my life for Jesus Christ, it's like the mafia, the mob wakes up and they swell against you. Why is it that there's no other name on the earth that has such hostility when you say it? I will tell you today that there's something powerful that, that we know that, that uh, the first thing that Manasseh did is he said we're getting rid of commitment to God and we can worship any little idol we want. We're going to become a polytheistic culture. We're going to sacrifice our babies in the fire to Moloch. It actually says that, that Manasseh threw his own kids in the fire. He was actually the, the guy that actually killed Isaiah, the prophet. This is a wicked king. And the last thing that he did beyond just removing, uh, removing uh, worship to God and commitment to God and, and turning the people away uh, and having all types of worship is they began to persecute anyone that stood for the truth. The prophets were the one that stood for the truth. You know what Manasseh did? He canceled anyone that, that adhered to this book. Does this sound a little bit like America today? Hey, you can worship anything you want. Sex, pleasure, drugs, rock and roll, but not Jesus. Hey, you can you go to any church you want, just not, not a church that honors Jesus Christ and the Bible. Hey, um, you can actually uh, worship anything, and if anyone tells you there's a right and a wrong, that's hate speech. It's intolerance. And I find it interesting that the gospel of tolerance that has swept through California is tolerant to everything except Jesus. Isn't that wild? Same sex, tolerate, yeah, trans, tr tolerate it, this, that, any, anything. We tolerate anything. Rainbows, unicorns, we tolerate it. But the moment you say there is a, there is a God, there is a word that's alive and well, it'll speak to you as you read it. It'll transform your heart and your life. You can't say that. We don't tolerate that. Why does tolerance work everywhere except with God? Just a question. Just a question. 
So notice what happens here is Manasseh turns an entire nation by doing three things. Remove spiritual commitments. Number two, let's worship anything other than Yahweh. And let's persecute anybody that stands for the truth. As he did this, he brought an entire nation into this valley of darkness. And what took 70 years of moral decay and spiritual decay, an eight-year-old king he begins to have a curiosity about the temple. And when he's 18 years old, he goes, you know what we need to do? We need to make God's house beautiful again. He basically said, let's make Sundays great again. Kidding, he didn't say that. But he said, let's build the house of God. Let's make the church wonderful. Let's make the church beautiful. Let's build God's house. So he hires. He takes his money, puts his money where his mouth is. He hires skilled artisans, carpenters, contractors. They go in, and guess what's cool? As they build God's house. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. You're never too young to do something great for God. Josiah is 18 to 20 years old as he goes, it's time to change this nation. It's time to turn the hearts of our people back to God. He is a young king. And this young king that's being raised by fathers and grandfathers turns everyone in the kingdom's attention back to Yahweh. How does he do it? He goes, first thing we're going to do is we're going to prioritize building God's house. And when they began to build God's house, guess what they found? They found the Bible. What does the Bible represent? It represents God's voice. You know why most people lose God's voice in their life? Because they stop building God's house. I could prove it to you. Because in 2007, when some of you went bankrupt, in 2008, when some of you lost everything, you know where you were at? Church. You know what you were all into? Prayer. You know what you were interested in? Giving God everything. And the moment God began to bless you once again, and the recession lifted, and the floodgates opened, some people got blessed all the way out of church. And we became so busy for us. The great Rick Warren, who just finished 42 years of ministry today. It's last Sunday. He said a powerful statement. I'll never forget it. He says, you have three options with your life. You can waste your life and spend it on nothing. You can spend your life on yourself. Or you can invest your life into something that outlives you. It's called building the kingdom of God. And I want to remind everybody that's into the kingdom that building the kingdom of God is connected to the local church. I would say the local church is the hub that the kingdom is built out of. Everybody in Orange County wants to build the kingdom, but no one's local church oriented. We have all these floating ministries that aren't connected and grounded to a local church. Jesus isn't coming back for parachurch and floating entities. He's coming back for his bride. It's going to get quiet up in here for a second. It's all right, though. I know the local church is the hope of the world. The hope of the church mobilized is the hope of the world. Ministries come out of healthy local churches. Good spot for an amen. So what do you know, preacher? I know this, man. This is crazy that God, God says, I'm going to revive a land through an uh, 18-year-old king that goes, as I begin to build the church, I discover God's voice. Kind of reminds me of Samuel. Samuel was in the church, serving in the church his entire life. How many know you could be in church your entire life and not know the voice of God? It wasn't until he was older that he actually heard God's voice. And guess what? The first time God spoke to him, you know what his voice sounded like? His pastors. And I've learned this in my own life that oftentimes God will train you to hear his voice by trusting the leaders that he puts in your life. Another message. 
But notice Josiah, he's 18, he's 20 years old. He starts to rebuild the temple and as he rebuilds the church and as he rebuilds the, 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 the house of the Lord, they find under some boards a Bible. They find a Torah. They bring it in and the high priest begins to read it. And notice this, that when he reads it, he doesn't just highlight it. He doesn't just say, that's a good word. Amen, preacher. It's a good book. I'm going to memorize some of those verses. And I'm not, I'm not against, I hope you memorize. I hope you read it. I hope you love it. But I want to remind you that reading a book on snowboarding, and if you go home every day and you read a book on snowboarding, how to snowboard, how to jump, how to do rails, and you highlight it, and you memorize it, and you devour it, but you never drive up to the mountain. You have missed the point of the book. The book is not just to be studied for the sake of academic knowledge. Yes, academically, it is a great book, but it is more than a book of principles and book of, of information and history. It is a book that was written to actually transform your life. Amen. So as he hears it, he goes full Hulk Hogan, WWE, Hollywood Hulk, rips his shirt. Bible days, they would rip their shirts when they were in horror or something was so astounding they couldn't take it anymore. He rips his shirt when he realizes how far their nation has drifted from God. Where are the Christians at? That their heart is so broken, so burdened by how far we have drifted from God. If you would have told me when I was a kid that literally pornography would be accessible on phones as easy as clicking this and clicking that, that our television, that our Netflix would have entire channels uh, dedicated to sexually uh, just crazy uh, preferences and entire stations that little kids could have access to. They wouldn't even let you say cuss words on Family Matters back in the day. Full House, it was like, it was a big deal when Full House, like, like, had a family dilemma in it. And just in a short 30-year window, look at the moral decline. That the satanic church is being okayed by the state to do welcome parties at our public schools. Where have we fallen from? Where are the Josiahs? Where are the people that say, we're going to build God's house? And as we build God's house, we're going to hear God's word. And as we hear God's word, we're going to believe God's promises. And when we believe God's promises, we're going to obey his voice. And as we obey his voice, we're going to experience God's presence. Catch this. It's, you, know, you know what causes us to miss God's presence? Disobedience. You know what causes disobedience? Unbelief. You know what causes unbelief? A lack of God's word chronological deterioration of society no word no faith no faith no belief no belief no obedience no obedience no presence no presence no prosperity you're not one of those prosperity guys are you well the bible's pretty clear on prosperity what do you mean it doesn't mean you get a rolex doesn't mean you drive a mercedes have a jet prosperity means that god's wind is behind you it means that god's hand is pushing you forward and whatever you do. That's what it means to prosper. I prosper that you be in, all, in health and in all things, even as your soul. Who wants God's wind behind you in life? That's prospering. The problem is we've seen some phony preachers on TV that aren't preachers. They're, they're, they're puppets, not prophets. And they've been peddling these prosperity messages that aren't from heaven. And because you saw abuse, you write off all of it. God wants to prosper you.
but it means that his wind is behind you. That's what it means. But you can't prosper without presence. And you can't have presence without obeying his voice. Why did God raise up David and reject Saul? Listen to me. Obedience. There's a word for reliance on God. You know what it is? Humility. Humility is when you say, God, I can live for me. I can do it in my own strength. But I would rather go where you want me to go, what you made me to do. So I'm going to rely on you. That's humility. And you know what humility does? It puts you in a position of obedience. And when you obey, the presence comes. But most people don't obey. You know why it says the children of Israel lingered 40 years on a 12-day journey? On a 12-hour tour, right? Why, why did Gideon, or Gilligan, uh, why did they get stuck on the island for 40 years? Why did they get stuck in the wilderness for 40 years? The Bible doesn't say it was, uh, it didn't say it was disobedience. They said they wandered in the wilderness because of unbelief. Unbelief is the absence of God's word. And when there's no word, there's no faith. Where there's no faith, there's no belief. And where there's no belief, there's no obedience. And where there's no obedience, there can be no presence. Look, I'm not saying his manifest presence, yes, it's everywhere, I get it. Or his, his, uh, his uh, omnipresence, it's everywhere. But I'm talking about the presence that pushes you forward in life. I want you to write this down that if you can. Do you know that no one determines how close you live to God except you? It's not my fault where you're at. It's not your parents' fault where you're at. It's no one else. You choose how close you live to God. And I will tell you today that it is your proximity to God that will determine his purpose being played out in your life. Your proximity to God will determine the power that flows through your life. Your, pros- your, your proximity to God will, will determine how you prosper in life. And many people, they live in the desert their entire life because unlike Josiah, they're willing to live their entire life not listening or actually obeying what God says. Josiah, are you still with me today? He heard the word. What did he do? Ripped his shirt. He began to weep. And I want to I bring attention to this. I'm almost finished today. The band can come up here. I'm almost, almost done. Is Notice what he does here. Is he says, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna do something. First thing that he did, like you did with your with your kids going back to school, is he says, I am gonna supply everything that God has given me to build his house. So I'm gonna task the masons that I know, the carpenters that I know, I'm gonna get everyone that knows how to skillfully build the house, and I'm gonna build a church, I'm gonna build the house of God, and as I do, I'm gonna discover his voice. And as I discover his voice, I'm gonna obey his voice. I'm going to serve his, I'm going to do what he tells me to do. Remember Mary said it best, whatever he tells you to do, just do it. Mary should have patent Nike. (laughs) Whatever he says, just do it. So notice this. There's a lot of people that know God's word, but they don't do God's word. Josiah was a great king and he turned a nation. 70 years of drifting, one man. One obedient son turned an entire nation back to God in his lifetime. How? Well, he said, it's time to rebuild God's house. And when I heard God's word, I did it. And I'm telling you, the first thing that he did in chapter 23 is he went from supplying everybody building God's house to scheduling. Say it with me, schedule. He had everybody come in. He goes, hey, get everybody. We are all going to listen to this book. Everybody, if everyone will get in this book right here. I'm telling you, if you read this book once a day, you meditate on it day and night, 
You watch how your marriage gets healthier. You watch how your kids become following in your example. You watch how you have better ideas for your business. You watch how God prospers you. You apply it to infidelity. You watch how God gives you a better marriage. You apply it to debt. You watch how you get out of debt. You apply it to how you live your life, and you watch how you prosper. This book works when you spend time in it. That's what Hezekiah models, or Josiah models to us. And so he schedules a time. He says, everybody, we're going to listen to this book. And as we read it, I'm telling you, like, like my professor said, this book will keep you from darkness. Our darkness will keep you from this book. But I'm telling you right now that America needs some salt. Doggone it, it needs some light. Where are the Christians that are ready to shine? I'm calling the church out of sleep. We can't afford to sleep when people are falling into the lake of fire every day. I feel an urgency in our hour that we're living in that God wants to remove this Manasseh malaise that's been over our land, that we're okay being godless, that we're okay serving God at a distance. Now is the time to go all the way in. I'm going to supply the wood. God's going to bring the fire. I'm going to schedule a time and a place, and God is going to bring his presence. I'm going to sacrifice, and God's going to bring the offering. And I believe if we'll do this, there will be a new sin with me, sensitivity. Notice that when David sinned, he goes, bring me back, Lord. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. He says, renew in me a steadfast, a right spirit. You know the greatest thing that God does when you, when you tell on yourself? Word is repent. We'll talk more about it in a few future weeks. But when you return to God, all repenting is, is restoring what's been broken. It's restoring what's been broken. People say, Mark, if God was so good, why doesn't he just forgive everybody and send everybody to heaven? Well, because there is a humanity sin debt. Started with Adam. It's gone on ever since Adam. Everyone has sinned. It says all have sinned. All have fallen short of the regulations, the goodness of God. And the problem is, God doesn't let anybody into heaven that's not like him. That's why good people don't make it in. You're not good enough to get to heaven. You got to be, you got to be perfect. You got to be forgiven. So we find here, kind of like what's happening in America right now. They go, well, can't the government just cancel the debt of student loans? They can't just cancel the debt. They can transfer the debt. And that's what they're trying to do right now. They're going to cancel debt for college students, transfer it to taxpayers. Someone's got to pay the debt. Government's powerful, isn't it? Yeah, but here's the deal. Someone still has to pay for it. People say, if God was so powerful, why doesn't he click his finger and pardon everyone's sin? He can't do it like that. He had to send his son. And what he did is he took all of our debt and he transferred it to Jesus' account. And Jesus dies as you, for you, so that one day when we open our eyes on the streets of gold, God the Father would treat us the way he wanted to treat Jesus. He had to treat Jesus the way that he, we should have been treated so that he could treat us the way that he wanted to treat his own son. We go to heaven do you know it's impossible for God to forgive sins that we don't confess? And do you know it's impossible for God to remember sins that we've brought to him? This is powerful. So what are we going to do as a church? I'll tell you, we're going to see revival in our land. God is going to bring a, a spiritual awakening which we've never seen before. Because we're going to supply a sphere to build God's house. We're going to discover God's voice. And when we do, we're going to have a heart for God. We're going to have an honor for his word. And we're going to do what he says. Can I get an Amen. It's going to change the rhythms of our life. 
We're going to change our schedules to honor God. We're going to bring a sacrifice. We're going to bring the fire. We're going to bring the, the, the wood. He's going to bring the fire. And there's going to be a new sensitivity to his voice. And when he does, the Bible describes revival as God opening up the heavens and coming down. He describes spiritual awakening as showering blessings on a dry and thirsty land with water. He describes spiritual awakening as eternal life coming to millions of people that are dead in their trespasses and in their sins. This is what happens. The problem is we've, we've celebrated a counterfeit revival. That's three hour long church services with modesty cloths and banners and shofars. That is not revival. Revival leads to transformation of cities. Revival will change your morality. Revival doesn't make you sing louder. It makes you live cleaner. I feel it in here today. I told the staff this, this week, I, I've been to a lot of weddings, officiated over 65 weddings. I've seen all types of brides. I've seen tall brides, short brides. I've seen uh, creative brides, all types, all different, all different types of brides. But I'll tell you what I have never seen. I have never seen a bride show up that's dirty. God's bride that he marries that Jesus returns for I'm telling you right now he's not coming back for a dirty bride he's coming back for a bride that says God I will return to you with my mind with my soul with my strength God the life that I live I live by faith and the son of God who loved me, who gave himself for me. I'm not here to make dollars. I'm here to make a difference. And God gave you a life to populate eternity, not just your checking account. So now's the time. Take action. That we bring the supply. We bring the schedule. We bring a sacrifice. And God makes us sensitive to his voice. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you cried in God's presence? I never cried in his presence that I'm telling you, he wants to bring you back. When was the last time you were on fire for God? It's been years. I'm telling you today, he wants to bring you back. When was the last time you were excited to read your Bible? Been a long time, preacher. It's time for God to bring you back. When was the last time you felt convicted about doing sins? Don't say the, the S word. When was the last time that God interrupted you before you did something stupid? I don't, I don't know. When was the last time you went to church and God gave you a word in this environment that prevented you from doing stupid during, during the week? Some of you today, I'm telling you, some, you, might, you might this week be planning on cheating on somebody, stealing something, doing something illegal. Listen to me. If God can't get your attention in these tents, where can he get it? This is where we go to bury our sins. This is where we go to encounter his voice. This is where we go for the water of God's presence to water the dry soil of our soul. This is where we go. This is where I build the house. This is where I hear his word. This is where he revives my faith. This is where my belief gets strong again. And when I believe, I obey. And when I obey, his presence fills my life. This is the house of God. This is the gateway to heaven. This is none other than Bethel. Stand to your feet. I feel His glory in these tents. Come on, anybody here that say, I want to go back to God. I want God to come all the way back to me. Coming back to you. I'm 
coming back to you. Close your eyes. I'm coming back to you. Coming back to you. Come on, lift your hands. Coming. Sing this now. Coming back to you. Coming back. Coming back to you. Come on, sing. Coming back to you. Hey, coming back to you. Sing it again. Coming back to you. His goodness today. Come on, it's coming back to you. Come on, His goodness.
my life. Come on, give him everything. Come on, give him everything today. One more time, sing that part. With my life laid down. Come on, lift your hands and give him everything you got today. Prophetically declare these tents today. With my life laid down. Close your eyes, he's here. Worship creates an atmosphere to connect with the Holy Spirit in a way, has a way of softening your heart, transforming your mind, has a way of revealing darkness, sin in your life, has a way of shining light so bright in your soul that it gives you hope for the future. Does anybody feel that hope in these tents today? Come on, lift your hands if you feel God's light, his hope shining into the souls of everyone in these tents. I would love it if everyone would lift their hands if you feel comfortable today. I ask you in the Lord, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that today, Lord, we return to you and we ask you that you would return to us. We know theologically that we only love you because you first loved us. Today, I pray you would break the malaise of Manasseh, that godless spirit that's materialistic, that's heathenistic, that's trying to live just for the here and the now, trying to live, God, just for the applause of humanity, for popularity. I pray that today, that Holy Spirit, there would be a new love, a new honor, a new respect for the Spirit of God. I thank you the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is, is knowledge of the Holy One. I ask you today, the secret of the Lord is with those that fear, that honor Him. God, the fear of the Lord is not just to be scared of you. It's not that the idea It's to have a deep, deep honor and reverence that you are the king, that you are the Lord, that you don't just deal with our side of eternity, but you deal with the other side of eternity. So we live not just for the here and for the now, but we live with our eyes fixed on the, on the prize of eternity. So Lord, today, I pray like Josiah, that we would remove the, the high places of our life, that we would get rid of the bales of our life, that God, we would discover your word once again. And I pray as we would love your word, that you would build our faith. And as you build our faith, I pray that we would obey your voice. And as we obey your voice, that you would fill our lives with your glory and with your presence as the waters cover the oceans. Holy Spirit, right now, speak. All over the tents today online, just say it like this. Say, Holy Spirit, meet me here. Speak to me here. And I want to challenge you today. There is a closer place with God than you're in right now. Everyone today can get closer. And my prayer as your pastor of this church is that over the next four decades of my life, as I pastor this church, like Rick Warren pastored Saddleback, that every Sunday we would take a step closer to God. Every Sunday we would take a step away from ourselves, 
away from our old sin nature, away from who we were before Jesus rescued us, and we would live closer and closer to God as the first gleaming of the dawn that shines ever brighter until the perfect day. From glory to glory, strength to strength, precept upon precept, I pray you would build our lives all over the tents today. Feel this so strong. How many feel like I'm Josiah and your family? Maybe you have parents that didn't serve God. You saw how their life went and you say, I want to live for God. I want God to use me to make a difference in the world. My walk with God could impact more than just me. I want to start with God, but I think that God's not going to stop with me. Today you say, I want to give my life fully to God. I don't want to live on the sidelines, on the bench, in the stands. I want to live with Him. I want to talk with Him. I want to walk with Him the rest of my days. If you've never known Him or you got off track and today you say, I'm rededicating my life to the plan and the purpose of God. I want you to lift your hands all over these tents. Online, you're going to write heart, H-E-A-R-T, and you're going to join with probably 25 or 30 people that every week give their lives to Jesus. If that's you all over the tents today, you say, Mark, first time I'm inviting God in. Or you've been off track for a few years, a few months, a few weeks. And today's the day to get right with Jesus. I'm inviting God in. I'm coming back to you, God. I'm coming back to you. I'm out of time. Would you raise your hands on the count of three? One, all over the tents, online, right heart. Two, don't miss this moment. Real high, I'm not going to embarrass you. Just lift your hands. I'm going to count the hands. Three, real high. That's me. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I see three, four, five, six, seven. Real high. Eight. Real high. Nine, ten, eleven. Real high. Eleven, twelve, thirteen. I see in the back, back. Fourteen. I see fourteen. Real high. Fifteen. Sixteen. Seventeen. Come on, eighteen. Anybody else? I see that married couple raising their hands together. I love it. I love it. I love it. Eighteen hands. More online. Hey, Oceans, do we love this or do we love this? 18 people, I'm telling you right now, this is not the end, it's the beginning. Let's pray this with those 18 today. Say, Jesus, I'm coming back to you. I ask you to come to me. I turn today all my heart, all my mind, all my strength. Would you fill me with your sweet Holy Spirit? Would you forgive me of my past and would you today heal me deliver me and order my life from this day forward in the name of the lord jesus christ i pray god's people said amen would you give him a five second hand clap for that that's amazing that's a lot of people today come on that's a lot of people come on give him a shout of praise that's over 30 today so far last thing we do we do it every week, not out of method or routine, but out of the fact that God desires to do this every week. God won't just save your soul, he'll heal your body. Does God heal everybody you pray for, Mark? Nope. But does he heal sometimes? You better believe it. I don't determine who gets healed and who doesn't. My job isn't to, to perform the miracle. My job is to believe that God can do it at any given time. So if you're here today, you need deliverance from depression. Maybe you're suicidal today. Maybe you have an eating disorder. You're addicted to pornography or methamphetamine. Maybe you have opioid addiction. Or maybe you're here, honestly, you just got a cancer diagnosis. You have some sort of a dementia onset. Today, we're going to believe that God heals. Today, we're going to believe that God saves. If that's you, if you raise your hand right now, we're going to pray for you. doesn't make you weird. It makes you honest. 
Is there any honest people that need prayer today? Just go ahead and lift your hands. I need prayer today for healing. I need a miracle in my body, in my family, in my finances. Go ahead and lift your hands all over. It's all right. We're honest. We're family here. It's okay. Every week, people raise their hands. If that's you, keep your hand up. If your hand's not up, find someone next to you. We're a praying church. Just one or two people put your hand on their shoulders. Everyone gets a hand really on their shoulder that has their hand really in the air. For me, and let's pray this prayer in faith today, Ocean's Church, as we close. Say, Jesus, we thank you that you're a miracle working God. We believe you heal sick bodies, the gift of healings, and the working of miracles. So today, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, evict darkness, heal bodies, set people free. Do what only you can do. And we give you all the glory, online and in the room, Jesus' name. God's people said a hearty amen. Would you give God a good hand clap today? What a powerful Sunday. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.